Just stop children coming to church, you know, they make such a noise, it's terrible. It's good to be back with you. Um, good to come and worship with you again and to preach to you. Very kind of you as well to delay calling a pastor until I've been able to come. Um, I was invited quite a while ago, but I've not been able to manage it until just now. So now that I've been, you can go ahead and call somebody, okay. <clears throat> uh, just to pass on a word of greeting as well, I was with Robert this week. Uh, he was helping us out with some interviews at college, and he asked to pass on his greetings to, uh, to the congregation this morning, and I do that uh, gladly on his behalf. We're going to listen together to God's word. The passage that we're going to be reading is from the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 11 and verses 1 to 11. God speaks through the prophet. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt? And will not Assyria rule over them, because they refuse to repent? Swords will flash in their cities, will destroy the bars of their gates, and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me, and even if they call to the Most High, he will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Admar? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. They will follow the Lord, and he will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria. And I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. A long time ago now, when she was still aged only nine... Madeline wrote a letter to God. I think you are super. Our priest said that we are wrong if we think that you are only in the clouds. He says you're here on earth too. If it's okay with my mother, would you like to come to dinner on Tuesday night? We're having lasagna. Hope you can make it. I wonder what it means to live life that intimately and that closely with God. What does it mean to have God in your life to that degree? That he pulls up a table at mealtimes. That he tucks into the same dishes that you do. 
but he comes round and stays for a while. It's not an unusual question, it's not a contrived question. In fact, some people have suggested that the whole of Scripture is an exploration of exactly that issue. What does it mean to live with God? Not just any God, but this God. Given that God is the way that he is, and given that he's called us into relationship with him, what does it mean to live with this God? Suggestion is that the whole of the Old Testament is Israel trying to come to terms with the fact that they've been called by the God of Abraham. That they've been called to share life with him. I think the passage that we've read gives us insight into one central feature of what it means to live with this God. And it means to live with a God who loves us to bits. And what are the consequences of that? Well, the first thing I want to suggest to you as we look at the first few verses of that chapter, verses 1 to 4, is that living with the God of love means that we have the capacity to break God's heart. Living with this God actually means that you have a power over God. You ever thought of it like that? You have a power over God. You have the power to break the very heart of God himself. You see, like Israel, we owe our existence, don't we, to the fatherly call of God. Just as God called them from Egypt, he called us into relationship with him. I can't read this passage without thinking about myself as a seven and eight year old playing in the local woods near the brewery uh, where I was brought up. And the incident that happened time and time again during the school holidays when my dad, who'd been on an early morning shift at the glass factory, was walking up at about two o'clock in the afternoon and he would stop at a certain point in the wall and look down into the wood at the bottom of the valley and he'd whistle. And whatever we were doing, as soon as I heard that whistle, I'd stop, turn around, leave my friends, run up the hill, climb up the wall, grab my dad's sandy hand and walk all the way back home because my dad had called me. He'd whistled me to be with him. But when God calls Israel, the more I called them, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to images. As God calls his child, perversely, the child goes further away. Dad calls and the child runs in some kind of nightmarish vision of that father-child relationship somehow gone wrong. The more I called them, the further they went from me. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. Various experts ask the question, is the yoke that's been lifted, is that the yoke of slavery from Egypt? Is that what God has in mind? Is the bending down to feed them? Is that the... The moment of God giving manna to the people in Israel, well, I don't know. We can guess about that. But what I do know is that this whole passage is meant to communicate to us the pain in the heart of God as he calls and his children turn away. His children, those whom he loves, have the capacity to break his heart, to hurt him. And as we read this whole passage in Hosea 1 to 11, we hear God bearing his heart to his people. God is saying, this is what it feels like to be me. And to love you. This is what it's like. Have you ever known that pain yourselves? Have you ever been in love with somebody who just refused to love you back? I'm immediately thinking, this is a bit embarrassing, so just bear with me for a minute or two, because I used to have a pet name for her. 
Don't do that now, that's kind of childish and not manly. But I used to call her Sue Sue. I think it was the nurse's uniform that did it. Um, but I was convinced that this was the love of my life and, and we would be married. And imagine how heartbroken I was when she announced her engagement to Pete. I was only six, but it hurt like hell. <laughs> the pain of rejected love is one of the deepest pains that the human heart can ever know. And living with the God of love means that we have the power to cause God to feel that pain. Because he loves us and we fail to love him back. What does it mean to live with the God of love? It means that we have the power, should we reject that love, to hurt him deeply. But living with this God also means that he will actually allow us to reject his love. If you look at verses 5 to 7, where God stops talking in his pain and his love and his tenderness and speaks in his anger and speaks about Israel returning into slavery, Israel that he brought out of Egypt returning once again into the domination of another power. Not Egypt this time, but Assyria. And we need to know, don't we, that if we insist on walking away from God, we will be walking into trouble, but God will allow us to walk. God will allow us to walk. Because by its very nature, love cannot impose itself. Love imposed is not love. Love imposed is rape. And God is no rapist. God loves and loves and loves, but allows us to reject that love. Allows us to throw it back in his face. Shortly after I got over the pain of losing Sylvia, as was her proper name, a few years later, um, Sunday afternoon, I remember it like daylight. Late Sunday afternoon. And I knew the usual routine for a Sunday afternoon. It was wait until the black and white minstrel show came on television. Then my mum would get the bath up from the cellar, put it in front of the fire, fill it up, and I got to sit in the bath, watch the black and white minstrel show before I went to bed. And I knew that was coming, but outside it was snowing. And I kind of didn't want to watch the black and white minstrel show, get a bath and go to bed. I wanted to go out and play. That's so why I said, Mum, Mum, can I go out? And she said, don't be daft. On a night like this, there'll be nobody out. You're getting in that bath. So I tried the tactic. You know the tactic, if you can't reason, you just eventually wear them down, don't you? <laughs> go on, Mum, let me go out. Don't be daft. Oh, go on, ma'am, they're bound to be out playing. Let me out, will you? Don't be daft on a night like this. Go on, ma'am, right. And she grabbed me by the scruff of the neck, opened the front door, threw me outside, and I heard it click and locked shut behind me. But I got what I wanted, so I went across the street, knocked on Alan's door, and said, Mrs. Jackson, is your Alan coming out? And Mrs. Jackson said, don't be daft. <laughs> on a night like this, he's staying in. So I went up the street and went to Duncan's house. Mrs. Sutheran, is your Duncan coming out? And Mrs. Sutheran said, don't be daft. Well, she didn't quite, but it makes a better story if I tell it like this. <laughs> and after calling at five or six houses and getting exactly the same response, I had that awful realisation that sometimes dawns on us as children. Our parents were right, after all. And so I took myself off into the field where we normally played football. 
soccer, but football, football really. Um, and sat on the hillside at the side of the field and put my chin in my hands and thought to myself, what lousy parents have I got? She didn't love me. Fancy let me out on a night like this. <laughs> she must be daft. <laughs> we need to know that sometimes love means giving us what we ask for. Sometimes love means allowing us to walk in the direction we want to walk, even if it will mean harm for us. Because though God loves us with a passion that we've yet to realize, God will never force that love upon us. God is a lover, not a rapist. Living with a God of love means that we will be allowed to reject that love and to walk away. But verses 8 to 9 of the passage remind us that living with the God of love means that we will be loved to the very end. Because if love doesn't force itself on the beloved, neither will it be extinguished by rejection. If love doesn't force itself on the beloved, neither is it easily extinguished by rejection. Every time I read this passage, and it's one of my very favorite passages from the whole of Scripture, I get that sense that we're treading on holy ground. Because do you not see how we're, we're looking into the very mechanics, as it were, the very workings of the heart of God? We're looking into God wrestling wrestling with how he feels towards his people. It's as if in verse 7, the previous section, God has said something that he didn't mean. Did you, did you sort of balk at that a little bit, verse 7, when I read it? When God says, even if they call to me, I'm not going to exalt them. Even if they call to me, I'm, that doesn't sound like God, does it? It doesn't sound like the God who responds to his children. Even if they call to me, I will by no means exalt them. And here you move into God wrestling with what he's going to do. With the pain of that rejection, determined to punish, and yet fearful and deciding, no, I'm not going to punish them. I can't. I can't do it. Indeed, actually, if you take this passage at face value, it's one of those instances in the Old Testament where God repents. There's a number of them. Where God changes his mind can't punish them. I can't bring myself to reject them. I was going to, but I'm not. They refuse to repent, so God repents instead. Wow. Wow. It's like the two men sitting on the park bench, isn't it, where one is telling the other one all the woes about his adult son, all the trouble he's been into, the drugs he's used, the crime he's got into, the relationships that he's destroyed. And the man's friend says to him, if that was my son, I'd have nothing more to do with him. And the first man's response was, yes, if he was your son, neither would I, but he's not, he's mine. If he was your son, neither would I, but he's not, he's mine. And I can't. This is what's happening in these verses. I can't give up on you. Hurt me as badly as you have. Walk away as far as you've determined to. I can't give up on you. That night I told you about when my mum proved how evil she was. I didn't complete the story. Because after I'd been sitting on the hillside for what seemed like hours, 
that was probably about 30 seconds. I heard a voice from the bottom of the field, and it was Roy from the top house in the row, shouting, Glenn! And almost like an echo from the other end of the field came Molly from across the road, shouting, Glenn! And within two minutes, it was almost as if the entire street had come out to look for me. Because they had. Because in the end, my mum cracked again. And having cracked in anger, she cracked in love. And the love won out. And the love determined to come looking and find this idiot of a child and bring him back. Living with the God of love means that like it or not, you're going to be loved to the end. Loved to the end. I know one or two of you a little bit. Most of you I don't really know at all. But I'll tell you what, this one thing I know for an absolute certainty. That this morning, whether you're walking to God or walking away from God, whether you're delighting his heart or breaking his heart, guess what? God loves you to bits. And there's not a thing you can do, not a thing you can do, that will ever stop that. That will ever diminish it for a second. Not a thing you can do. Trying to throw away God's love is like trying to throw away a boomerang. The harder you chuck it, the faster it comes back. It's the way it is with our God. To live with this God is to live with love forever. It's one of the reasons, incidentally, why I've not quite yet. This is going to shock you. Can somebody look under the seats and make sure there are no stones or rotten tomatoes are out there? But this is one of the reasons why I've not yet completely given up on the hope that God might be a universalist, even if I'm not. Do you ever feel that tension? Do you not wish that God were a universalist? Do you not wish that actually God would find a way so that ultimately absolutely everybody gets into heaven? You might worry about me for suggesting it, but I tell you what, if you don't share that fear, I worry about you more. If we can live with this God without hoping, without yearning, without longing, that somehow God will find a way. What this passage is all about is the wisdom of God finding a way for the love of God to win over the wrath of God. Actually, that's what the cross is about. It's the wisdom of God finding a way for the love of God to win over the wrath of God. Now, I know there are passages in Scripture that don't allow us to become universalists. But if you don't wish that they weren't there, I want to suggest you've not quite yet caught the heart of God. This is a love that will never, ever give up. And ultimately, as verses 10 and 11 remind us, it means that being live, living with this God who loves us like this, means that our ultimate destiny is to be with him. It is to be with him. In Egypt he cried and they answered and he settled them in their homes. From Babylon and Assyria he cried and they settled in their homes by him. God's love finds a way. God's love found a way out of Egypt, found a way out of Babylon. And guess what? 
even found a way out the grave. They even found a way out the grave. Such is the power of the love of this God with whom we share our hearts. This passage is the prodigal son in the Old Testament. This is what it is. It's the God who loves and hurts as the son walks away. But it's the God who ultimately welcomes that son back and rejoices and celebrates. Incidentally, the wrath of God and the love of God, you know, are not equally matched. Are you familiar with the booklet Journey into Life? Kind of evangelistic booklet. It was the booklet that somebody gave me when I wanted to come to faith by Norman Warren. It was kind of being used way back in ancient history when I was a teenager. It's still being used. It's a cracking book, but it's got a heresy right at the heart of it. And the heresy is this, that God's love. Remember the picture in the book, those of you who have seen it. God, God is like a coin. God's character is like a coin. There are two sides to that character, two equal sides. One is love and one is justice. I'm here to tell you that's heresy. God is a just God. God is a loving God. But they're not equal sides to God's character. Certainly, wrath and love, as I've sometimes heard it put, are not equal sides to God's character. Love is more foundational. And the regular picture of scripture is that whereas wrath is always passing, love is always eternal. The scriptures say time and again, God is love. They never say he is justice, he is wrath. He's a just God, and out of his love he sometimes is angry, but they're not an equal part of his nature. The picture that scripture gives us is time and again, wrath passes, love endures. Psalm 30. Sing to the Lord, you saints, for his. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. His anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Isaiah 54, I'll just give you two of the instances. We don't have time, they've got to be on a train. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but my deep compassion means I will bring you back. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you. Anger that surges for a moment, kindness that is everlasting. This is our God. This is our God. That the deeper you dig into God, the more love you find. You encounter justice, you pass wrath on the way, but the deeper down you get, it's all love. The deeper down you get, it's all love. At this stage, because I'm no longer a pastor of a local church, but instead um, teaching in a theological college, my contract says that in every time I talk, I've got to give you some kind of complicated theology in every single sermon. So, so this is it for today. If, if you find it dull, just kind of talk to your neighbor, but I've kind of got to do it, otherwise I'll get the sack. I, I want to sort of just take you into the realms of sort of kind of abstract Trinitarian theology. Amen? Hallelujah. And ask you this question. Has there always, from all eternity, before the creation of anything else, been love in the heart of God? You're not so sure, are you? Yeah. For all eternity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit have been living in a relationship of eternal perfect love. Before creation and will ultimately endure with creation. 
Next question. Has there always been wrath in the heart of God? No. In eternity past, all that was there was perfect love. It is truer to God's essential character to be loving. Which is pretty good, isn't it? But you reckon? But you reckon that's kind of smart? Just a kind of a little American word I threw in there just to make you feel at home. It, It means that you're capable of hurting him. And actually you will know this morning whether you're in that place right now. It means that if you choose to walk away from him, he'll allow you to do that. And again, you know if that's what you're doing. It means he's still loving you. It means his love will find a way. And it means that in the end, the place that you belong is at home with him. Madeline wanted God to come and sit down at her table. God invites you now to come and sit at his table. And to hear again, and see again, and taste again the love that he has for you this morning. Whether you're loving him back or not, whether you're walking towards him or walking away from him, that's the invitation. Come, sit at my table, and feast on my love. Amen.